Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, you lovely lot. Um, No, this isn't Jim Smallman doing... Uh, a comedic northern accent it's it is a familiar voice though answers on a postcard i guess uh welcome along to tuesday night jaw uh support everything that's on this wonderful network that we're on distraction pieces network loads of wicked uh podcasts new ones popping up sprouting out of the ground everywhere uh, make sure you're following the boss man on twitter scroobius pip he'll tell you how good his up-and-coming podcast is it will always be dead good because it is always dead good so yeah, make sure you're supporting everything on our network. Uh, if you want to find out more about us and our, our archive and anything that my boss man's up to, go to jimsmallman.com forward slash TNJ, all in lowercase, and you'll get to see loads of lovely information on there. So we probably should... This is so weird to watch. This is possibly the weirdest situation I've ever, <laughs> I've ever been in. It's like that, it's like that movie where, it, where the, the daughter and, and, and the mom swap bodies. It's got Lindsay Lohan in it. Is it? Oh, there was loads of films like that. There, there I was going to say wife swap, but that's there, there a totally was, different thing. There was a raft of those films when yeah. I was a kid. Uh, yeah. And then there was another raft of them when I was in my mid-twenties, which is when the Lindsay Lohan one happened, yeah. I think. It was, which was a remake, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a remake. Yeah, yeah. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. There you go. Well, you've got a, you've got a twisty Tuesday. Uh, Who are you? You've not introduced yourself yet. I know, I was just about to I'm do just, it. I feel like I'm, I, have to, I have to monitor this stuff oh. for this podcast only. Hello, my name's Matt Richards. You've probably heard me on such episodes as <laughs> several round tables, a one where I shoehorned in Dragon Gate wrestlers and other such things. Uh, this I, is now becoming a Toriumon podcast. It is. Well, well done. <laughs> this is a Milano Collection 80 tribute podcast. You're welcome, internet. Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually going to be conducting an interview with with, with me dad. Not <laughs> biological. Uh, Am I old enough? I'm not old enough to be nah. How old are you? I'm, I'm 30. I'm 30. What? I'm actually 31 in less than a week. Really? Yeah. Good reminder. Um, I'm yeah. glad I took you for dinner now. I feel like I've done something. Yeah. Um, I, so there's t- 10 and a half, 11 years difference between us? Yeah. So I can't, I mean, I'm from a rough town, but I'm definitely not your dad. I was going to say, like, I think I feel like the term early bloomer might be a bit, a bit genetically impossible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but, but yeah, 
I'm, I'm actually joined by, by Jim Smallman. Hi. We're I'm weird, it's weird being a guest. Um, but a guest I am today, so... You are. You're in, you're in my house. Um, and we're going to do... We're going to do a Twisty Tuesday, Freaky Friday situation where I'm going to I'm gonna talk to Jim, and Jim is going to be a, a Tuesday Night Jaw Meets guest. Guest. For, and also, this is on me rather than being on Matt. Like, sorry there's not been a lot of podcasts. We'll talk about this in a bit. Um, but I get, I get quite a lot of people messaging me going, where's the podcast? And I'm like, well, it, I mean, it's, there's a really good archive. But oh, it's tremendous. I don't think there's actually been a podcast. There's not been many this year. There's been a couple this year. I can't remember. Really yeah, it's been inconsistent. But I also I have no concept of time. In yeah. that, my wife pointed out to me that it was a year ago this week we went to see Fly of the Concords in Liverpool. I genuinely thought it was two weeks ago. It's a year ago to the day since Royal Albert Hall because I saw it on Twitter. Oh, good lord! Um, yeah, day one finals. Because you put a thing up, didn't you? Yeah, about uh, what, being Gibson, the most. The most unpartisan I've ever, not Belgrade, uh, unpartisan fan I've ever been, which is a wonderful moment because I was sat with um, a few wrestlers, uh, mainly uh, Mrs. Gallagher, Jack Gallagher's wife, uh, and, and friend of the podcast, Chris Brooker. Uh, and we were we were very well behaved throughout the whole show. We got to the final, and it was obviously Chase Banks versus Zach Gibson. Uh, anyone probably who knows me knows that me and Zach go back a long, long time with good mates. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I hate Travis Banks. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just <laughs> hate the Kiwi Bustle, man. It's fine. This is my platform to finally get out. So, so we're watching the match and we're really enjoying it and it, and it gets into the near falls and they're getting closer and closer and I can't remember what... It might have been a Helter Skelter because that's, you know, the usual one. Helter Skelter and there's a one, two and our whole section audibly goes... Argh! And we all kind of look at each other. Interesting side note, um, Distraction Pieces Network's boss, Scroobius Pip, was sat three rows in front of us and turned around and saw us. With the cast of uh, the film he was in at the time. Yes. Uh, which I can't remember the name of. Uh, um, it's the wrestling film with Stephen Graham. Because Stephen Graham, was Stephen Graham, yeah, because he came backstage yeah, afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. that was that weird moment of bumping into one of my friends in Pip while I'm at work. Yeah. And then, and obviously at the time, and this is something we'll talk about in a bit, at the time... When I was doing this podcast, I couldn't mm. say that was work. Yes. Because I think that was still at the point where I didn't really talk about it. So I'm at work and I've had a hell of a day um, uh, because at the time like, I'd worked there for maybe a month and it was weird. Like, yeah. It was, and so I bump into Pip, which is great, as one of my friends. Yeah, yeah. And then I bump into, um, and then I bump into Stephen Graham, who I'd met before mm-hmm. and he remembered, which is really cool. Yeah. I met him at a comedy club and, um, and weirdly, I. I think I used to work with his wife. All right. His wife was a drama teacher. I used to work with her. So, like, that's a really cool moment. He's a great actor, and that was a really, really cool moment. Um, uh, so that was all like, oh, this is really, really mad. And then um, and then immediately behind me, being hurried out of the building, was Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And I'm like, oh, this is, everything's really surreal mm-hmm. now. This is a very surreal day. And I'm in the Royal Albert Hall, where I once had a bet with my dad. If I ever worked in the Royal Albert Hall, he would get a tattoo. Now, he thought I was going to do stand-up in there, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a very lofty goal, considering well, I mean, how yeah. limited I was at stand-up. But, um, I technically worked there. I worked yeah. there for two days. You did? So... We're having a Tuesday night draw special where we tattoo your dad. Yeah. I mean, he's so scared of needles. 
Oh, it's well, fine. So... It'll be fine. I'll, I'll get one with him. I keep saying that. Here's an intro. I don't think I've ever told you this. I don't even think I've ever told Pip this. So it, on the on the note of, of Stephen Graham and Pip being in the same building, on night two, I was sat up in a box um, for some reason. And I noticed they... Throughout. Walk like a panther. Sorry. Walk, yes, it is. Walk like a panther. Oh, thank God. Sorry, oh. carry on. Um, so I had a, like a lofty view. So, guys, you know, if you've ever watched it, mainly NXT takeovers or, or a WWE special, they wheeled guests into the audience and they're like, oh, here's a guest. Yes, very. I will never forget that because it was so beautifully awkward. So, the night. Remind me, I'll tell you that story. Man. The night of the takeover, they wheel Christian out. Yes. Which is like awesome because we're all like, oh, it's Christian. So what you don't notice is Pip starts walking towards where Christian is, and I'm thinking, is Pip gonna like tackle Christian? Is he still mad that he's won a ladder match at WrestleMania or something? Double legging. So he actually ends up walking past Christian, completely ignores him to go and see Stephen Graham, who then I notice, and I'm like, bloody hell, that's Stephen Graham, who's a wonderful actor from such films as. And there's this wonderful moment where if you go back and actually watch the special, Pip's just walking aimlessly in the background as Christian's doing his, like, peeps taunt and whatever. And I, I have just... not noticed this and now need to see Yeah, this. go back and watch it. Anyway, so, oh, back I... to the original point. So, just to tell you quickly my story about oh, God, when yeah. I was... So, the, the first Blackpool... Um, the first Blackpool show, uh, the, the original NXT... Mm-hmm. Sorry, the original WWE United Kingdom Championship tournament. So... We're we're backstage um, as guests, and we they they say to us the same thing they said to uh, to Mark Dallas from ICW and uh, I believe the guys from OTT as well. Yeah, they they were like, "Do you want to just go and like sit in the crowd and we'll we'll put a camera on you?" And I think we were the first ones to do it, and we were like, um, "I'm sure, but it's weird." And it was only Glenn was still doing Buddy Holly at the time, so it was only me and John. Yeah, I remember the show. And Glenn went the next day while we did a show in Birmingham, yeah. where half our roster was in Blackpool, which is why we end up with Finn Balor playing yes. musical chairs and uh, Alistair Black still when he was still full time. End. Yeah. Um, so the whole thing was a very weird weekend. Um, but yeah, so they they get you to so they they have a seat. They put seats specifically yeah. out for you. So you. You get taken out there about two minutes yeah, yeah. before you're, you needed to be out there. And uh, often the person taken out here will be um, uh, a writer or someone like that, or probably our, our friend Henry, uh, who oh, yeah, uh, yeah. who works with his dad on the, on the WWE show. As, as seen on, from photos from your recent FIFA tournament in the hotel. Yeah, he played the FIFA tournament with us, because uh, he just turned up because he went down the road. He's also been to a progress show as well. Oh, he comes to progress all the time. He's yeah. Henry. Everyone loves Henry. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so he... We get put in these seats, and they go, "Okay, camera's coming on you in like ten seconds. Just wave." And so I've explained this to other people when they've had to do this. I think I explained it to uh, Kayla and Piper Niven mm-hmm. when they had to do it. And I was like, "Listen, you're going to be—it's going to feel like you're waving for roughly four hours, yeah. because no matter how long you think ten seconds is, ten seconds oh. of a camera being pointed at you, oh. and you know people are watching you. And I don't like." regardless of what people might think I hate attention hate it so I hate like, having a camera on me is the worst and it's one of the reasons I have my face in photographs and the only place you can really see my face you now is when I do it's IRL <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> so, just take a look at it get dead close to him next time you see him so just I'm, stare at him. so I'm waving 
And John's next to me, and John's loving this for some reason. Oh, he's, it's it's smiling. He's having the best time. He, he was programmed I, to smile. Go back excitingly. and watch it. Like I'm smiling for the first two seconds. The next eight seconds is me, like honestly questioning everything in my life at that point because mm. I, I just start panicking, going, "What am I doing here? Why is this happening?" Uh, and I, I, I've never wanted to run away more. Not because I didn't. I love being there and mm-hmm. getting the opportunity was great. It just. There's something weird about being told to do one thing for ten seconds until yep. eventually yeah, you told yeah. you clear. And I don't know. Maybe they maybe they did the ten seconds and then just kept filming us because it was funny for the next three. I mean, or four I'd minutes. do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it was it it was a weird experience. Do you want to know another weird tie into that that weekend with the the mentioned progress show? Mm. My first ever progress show I commented on. Was it? Yeah, because it was the uh, Birmingham. Uh, main event was Rampage Round versus Matt Riddle what, did you comment on it because Glenn wasn't there I believe that that's the situation yes that's interesting Cause, so my first ever progress show started with Finn Balor coming out and playing musical chairs yeah which we worked out two minutes before we went out um, and he, he, Finn came up to me and went what would we do uh, and he'd just arrived with jet lag and stuff I went yeah. I, I don't know musical chairs he was like cool and then I was left the power of improv to mess around with it and 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 have fun with it and it was fun it was and it was a weird it was a weird start of a show let's be honest um, yeah and, but, and and going back to my original point which we will, well, I will do um, so yeah during the, the, the main event and there was a big kick out of an ear fall and everyone kind of made this audible like ah we all went ah just fuck it let's all just cheer Gibson so there was a part of this audience that clearly everyone kept on like looking at us going who are you people just screaming at the top of our lungs for Gibson to win so needless to say when he won and we're jumping around in our section and we're all like quite nicely dressed because we're friends and family and stuff like that and I've never wanted to fight people in my life more than in that moment that we're booing him and it's <laughs> one of the only times live at a, at a show that I've ever let myself actually like really get aggressive about it I do it at home all the time like the things I say at home when I'm watching oh, shows oh god yeah the things you said before this podcast started oh yeah Terrible human being. Oh. That's that's why I'm taking over from you, from from one terrible human being to another. But um, yeah, but do, do you know what? That's actually an interesting point though, because a year ago we were sat in the Royal Albert Hall, both of us, merely mm-hmm. doing very different things. I was probably drinking, so you know, there's that as well. But the change within, and this doesn't just mean NXT or WWE or anything like that. But the change in wrestling, full stop in that one year is astronomical like to me I forget things happened a month ago but it just seems to be in the last year or two that there's been an accelerated rate of progression and for lack of a better term no that wasn't a branding thing or a marketing thing yeah because if you told me I mean even 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 Gibson being at that show Mm. in a main event at one point Two or three months before that would have seemed like improbable. Yeah, I, I think it's not even like a case of a year. Like this is what we were talking about before. Like if you look at the journey of British wrestling as a whole, yeah, in the last decade. So we've gone from and whenever I say stuff like this, people always go, "Oh, but there wasn't nothing." I know there wasn't nothing, but it wasn't what it is now oh and I can attest to yeah. that and you can definitely testify because you were a wrestler yeah. so like it, it just wasn't what it is now and it's not that we didn't have the talent because there's definitely people in the UK who've 
who've perhaps slightly missed out on this on this sort of golden time by being slightly the wrong age, for example. But this is, I think, what's interesting is that's a hundred percent true. Because um, I, I was very fortunate that I came through with a generation that was phenomenally talented and still is phenomenally talented, but was criminally overlooked for a long time. And again, I'm I'm talking from a nor- northwest point of view. Mm-hmm. So Legero, uh, Spud, mm-hmm. Joey Hayes, CJ Banks, Danny Hope. Uh, there'll be others that have a name, Chris Travis, obviously, Martin Kirby, you know, the list goes on and on. And then people like Gibson and Gallagher came after us. But the difference was that our intention then was never to be, oh, we are going to go to WWE because no one went to WWE. Like, the fact that people... Well, one person, so someone like uh, Drew McIntyre would go there from okay, time to time. But, but, it, but it wasn't... When I met Drew when he was 16, I was like, oh, you're going to WWE because you're the tallest man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> He's a, he was a monster. And immediately he needed to put a bit of timber on, but he, and he did. But again, you had exceptions. Like Mason Ryan obviously went during the, at the time. But things like Robbie Brookside having dark matches at live events was we were like, that's the pinnacle. And there was a couple of lads that had tryouts. There was a couple of lads that had like extra work. But... To us, our little corner of the the country was the biggest thing. But the the big thing for us was we always wanted to make build a platform to make things better for 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 the next lot because we all came from training schools. Nice. So you know, it was whether we were working for Future Shock with the guys like you know you got Chris Egan, Sam Bailey, and obviously ultimate like people like Jack Gallagher and, and Gibson coming through. We always were like, okay, well, our job here is to lay the foundation and someone else comes in and puts the bricks on top and then we start building and building and building and we go from there. So I do feel like there is this, I, I hear it a lot, a lot recently where people are like, such and such is so over overlooked and, and underrated. But if you actually sit down and like, you just go for a cage match. And look at people like Legaro and Hayes and Banks and, and, and all these people. Go and look what they did. They've done amazing stuff. But the the difference from, from then to now was there was never a platform for us to na- take the next step up. And I think that's been the progression of, of British wrestling is that regardless of promotion, it's always felt that a platform has been laid for us to then go, okay, well, we can go from here to here to here. Because, it, I mean, you've got to feel that even when you promoted the first ever progress show you've you've said on record that you were just like oh we'll do one show yeah we'll do, do one show see how it goes not lose all our money we did lose a lot of money not yeah. as much money as we thought we'd lose and then we decided to do another one and then Glenn came on board and then we didn't lose quite as much money and then by about show seven we didn't lose money at all and then we were getting to a point where the show was selling out so quick that we thought hey maybe we can do more than 300 people and then we started in 700 people and then at one point Wembley Arena came and said, do you want to do a show? <laughs> and we initially said no and then two years later we went back and went, yeah, fine, we'll do one now. I, and we sold nearly 5,000 tickets, which is, I find, it's astonishing. It, it's, it's astonishing as well how, like, I, I was very public about this at the time when we did Wembley. Like, I, I, I had a goal, in my head, it was like, we do 3,000 tickets, yeah. which is roughly what I think Impact did there once. They did more than that. Yeah. But they did. They definitely did a show there because I went to it. They definitely did a show there where there was only 3,000 people. And I was like, if we can do 3,000, we won't lose money. We won't make a lot of money. But 3,000 would be great. 
Um, and that was all I, I've, I always have a figure in my head of what I want us to hit for yeah. shows like that, the same with tours. I was like, we get the 3,000, that's brilliant. And then we did that pretty quickly and then we crept up to 4,750, which is legit. Not mm-hmm. kayfabe in any way because I don't believe in doing that with tickets. It's stupid. Um, and yeah, and like, that's astonishing. Like, that is, I have a plaque on my wall in my lounge, which you've seen, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. For the biggest independent wrestling show in England. Right, um, it? It's great. Awesome. Like, that's, that's a really, really cool thing to do. And, but when we started with just 300 people, it was like, we're never going to, like, even getting 300 people. That's so, that show sold out. We've sold out, I, I think, certainly every London chapter show. There might be the odd one in Sheffield where we've had 10 tickets left or something like that. Mm. Um, and, obviously, like, we could always get more people in Ali Pali. We could always get more people in Wembley. We could always get more, I think we could maybe get 20 more people in Brixton Academy. Yeah. Um, we could have got more people in Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, but they were very full for the, what mm. we wanted. Um, but we've sold out nearly every chapter we've ever done, yeah. which is unbelievable. Like in seven years of doing that, I was, I was talking. Mad. Do you know? I was talking to a Pip about this. He did a um, he did a <laughs> distraction pieces podcast that you can find on this network with uh, Cedric from um, Out of Driving. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like Out of Driving, which. It's probably no surprise to you because you know me like the band when I was growing up along with like Refused and I was getting into hardcore and shout screaming guys and I like Mars Volta and everything I was listening to that podcast and he mentioned that At The Driving did a gig it was oh, I can't remember if it was Mars Volta or At The Driving but they did a gig at the Electric Ballroom and it's the first time in my brain that it's gone you do the electric ballroom and I was like oh shit and like I actually went onto YouTube and like watched the whole video of like the live performance on the stage there's a TV that we series do. there's a comedy TV series filmed in it it's just bizarre like, which, is, which is fun as well because whenever um, the guy who runs the venue who's lovely and has worked there for 30 years yeah and whenever they film a new season of that and it's Russell it's whatever Russell Howard presents or whatever it's called oh um, the, yeah, yeah yeah and and every time it, I'll, Every time they've just filmed, they'll film a whole series in a week. Right. And every time I'll go in, he'll be like, why aren't you on that? And I'm like, well, I don't really do comedy anymore. He's like, but they're all terrible. I'm like, they're not, some of them are my friends. They're not all terrible. I mean, some of them probably are terrible, but they're not all terrible. And, um, and he's always like, no, I don't understand it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, that's a very different audience. Like, I'm 41. Mm-hmm. I'm not, if you look at that show, nearly every comic on that is under 30. And that's what that TV station wants. And that's fine. Um, but it is always weird because I'll yeah, always watch yeah. it and go, that's where Pip watches the shows yeah, from. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's where Joe Atherton watches the shows yeah. from. And I can see all that in there and it seems weird. But I went to tons of gigs there. I went to tons of gigs at the garage as well. And for a long time, my favourite photo of me um, is is me at Brixton Academy with my arms spread in front of the, um, the balcony. Mm. And all I was thinking at that moment was, because the ring, because the flat floor's in, the ring is half on the stage. Yes. So if I stand in the middle of the ring, as I was when that photo was taken, I am pretty much on the edge of the front of the stage. And while I was doing that, all I was thinking was, last time I came here, I watched, uh, the De- I watched Deftones here, and Gina Moreno was stood right here, and he's one of my heroes. Yeah. So, like, having that link's always really, really cool. And... But yeah, it, it, it's mad, and, and we always wanted to run in music venues. It's weird when we do the tours in America. It's weird because often you're in like rec centers and stuff, mm. and they're not. It's not quite the same. the same. Some of them are because they're like ECW it's, Arena. It's funny because it's got the legacy, because obviously, growing up in Manchester and watching gigs in Manchester, um, the Ritz is the Ritz, and like it's it's 
as much as I love the Ritz and like I'm still like blown away that we do the Ritz. It's funny that I remember when Fight Club announced they were doing Manchester Academy. Mm. I was like so gutted I couldn't be there <laughs> to do it because like that's that's where I've seen insert every single band I've ever seen yeah. in like that you do have that effect like affection for certain venues. Right, here's a question for you because mm. I'm interested in this because you're talking about you mentioned Brixton, you mentioned Wembley. Um, what was the show that? that was the turning point for you like whether i don't know i'm not necessarily meaning like financially but like mentally what was the show that you went oh what we're doing is actually gonna be successful or so if i want to say show one because at the end of show one i think we realized fans are chatting this is progress and you realize oh hang on we might have done something accidentally completely by accident we didn't set out with a cynical business plan of um you know, and then this is why promotions like Five Star annoyed me so much at the time. Mm. Is I think every good promotion in the UK, and there's lots of them, yeah. right? From uh, from ourselves at Progress to uh, OCT in Ireland to ICW in Scotland to Rev Pro Attack, Fight Club Pro, all these great promotions, like all of them, like none of them set out to like make a load of money or you know yeah. or try and sell out X amount of shows or try and do X event. It was literally, hey, let's put a show on and let's make good wrestling. That's what everyone wanted to do. Whether your background is in some promotions like Fight Club is from mm. run by people who are wrestlers or if your background is like us in progress is wrestling fans who work in entertainment. Like, that's what I think good promotions do. Yeah. It's just, hey, can we make wrestling that people like? Awesome. That's it. That's the mission statement. That's all the mission statement should ever be. The mission statement shouldn't be, I want to take over the world. The mission statement should be, hey, can I make something that people like? And if people like it, then maybe you can take over the world. But with promotions like Five Star sprang up and just went, hey, we're just going to book arenas because, hey, all all these other companies, they're doing really, really well. So how hard could it be? Well, for, for... my, I can speak for myself and I can I think I can probably speak for everyone else who's been a wrestling promoter in this country mm-hmm. over the last decade it's really hard it's not easy it's no. really fucking difficult you can't just click your fingers <laughs> and go let's fill an arena now using pretty much the same talent that everyone already uses yeah, yeah. you can't just do that and, and and so for me show one there's a, there's a point Glenn always brings this up whenever me and Glenn talk to people within the world of wrestling whether it's podcasts or just chatting to them like yeah. he always brings up because he wasn't in progress from show one it was like two or three. Show two. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he, he saw how exhausted I was at the end of show one and how happy I was. Mm. Like, there's a point where I got my, I'm just hitting the mat because I'm so pleased with how well it went. And it meant a lot to me because I love wrestling. And at the time, like, the chapter one's also the only show where I wasn't with my wife. Mm. So, like, it, it, it felt like it plugged a gap in my life that I didn't, didn't have anything for outside of my daughter who I didn't see a lot of the time. Mm. I had nothing. Like, I had comedy, which I was I was good enough at to make a living out of, but not... I was never... I knew I was never... I didn't want to get on TV, which is a part of the problem, but I didn't mm. want to be on TV. Um, I, I knew very much what I wanted to do in comedy, and what I wanted to do was never going to pay the bills, so I was stuck in this weird limbo. So I was never going to... That was never a thing for me. Um, but whereas this, I didn't look at it and go, hey, maybe one day wrestling fans will know who I am. It wasn't that. It was just for that, those three hours of that day in front of those 300 people, we made something really, really cool. And if in retrospect, if you go back and look at chapter mm-hmm. one compared to what we do now, it's it, it's okay. Do you know what? It's, it's really funny because I, I asked you this because I, I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but like, I never, I, 
never heard of you for ages. The only way, the first time I ever heard of you, I've got a friend, uh, Andrew Sovern, mm. used to buy your DVDs when they were numbered. Yeah, he used to do the. He used to do some uh, graphic design for us at the beginning. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. and there was uh, there was the there was the cover with Legero in black, mm. and I was like, well, "Who's this?" And he's like, "Oh, this is this Burgers thing." And I remember like all of us up north, all right, or like the group I was, we just used to look down our nose so badly at you. We're like all oh, these bloody southerners thinking they know about wrestling, doing all this all this talking with all these videos and stuff. There's no there's no wrist holds or whatever and stuff. And I remember the the chapter that turned it was thirteen that went on YouTube, wasn't it? Yep. And I watched that. I'll never I'll never forget there was it, it's thirteen when Jimmy kidnaps Osprey, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's the way he cuts, cuts, his, cuts ear his ear off. I believe so. That was the moment that I went, "Oh shit!" That was like these guys are doing something that is super, super different. Well, so when the, if you watch the first show, there's a story, kind of a story thread runs through the first show, and then we kind of have a few storylines. But then Jimmy's the first real storyline yeah. that we that we did. And if you look at those shows, the, the, the way the shows were structured. It's still kind of how the shows are structured now. We have more stories now because we have more shows and we have more people watching the shows because of on demand. But the way the shows were structured was we have one big story, Jimmy, and then and before that it was uh, uh, it was the heel screwing the wrestling stable mm-hmm. and then like and so that was that was our one big storyline was Jimmy. Chapter nine is the show where he beats me up, mm-hmm. um, and as I pointed out many a time, I lost. It's quite a lot of my hearing in my left ear. Uh, completely worth it. Knocked me out completely in the ring. Great. Don't care. Cheers, Jimmy. I love, uh, uh, I love him dearly. And it was, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we would not be anywhere near uh, where we were without without that storyline with Jimmy and about how much Jimmy dedicated himself to it and then Jimmy being champion for nearly two years. And it, chapter nine was where I think everyone went, oh, God, because we did something very different. Like, it, it was weird because not long after that, there was quite a lot of... Uh, non-wrestling characters being beaten up by people because it worked for us yeah, it worked yeah. really well like um, and I don't think people saw it coming even when he gets in the ring with me with the chair yeah, I don't think yeah. anyone sees it coming because I'm not a wrestler Yeah. Um, and I've said this on stage in various stand-up shows but I mean how I prepared for that was I just let a man beat me up for real yeah. so it really hurt like all of it really hurts and he hits me watch the chair shot he hits me it's, so it's, hard it's, it's really it's really funny it reminds me of so there was a storyline years ago in, in, in GPW, which is Grand Pro uh, Wrestling now in, in, in Wigan. It was called Garage Pro at the time. It's Joey Hayes versus a guy called TJ Kane, who doesn't wrestle anymore, but he was one of the first people that went over to like uh, Philadelphia with Hero, because he wrestled mm. Hero on the show. I uh, met Mike Quackenbush, and like, uh, he went around about the same time as Claudio Castanoli. Um, and like, Tom was like one of the best. And they did a feud where... Like, it was basically former tag team partners gone gone bad and they did an I quit match and the finish to the I quit match was was TJ Kane grabbing Joey's little brother out of the crowd and like threatening to like not murder him but like threatening to do damage until Joey gave up mm. and like tapped out and I remember at the time like I was like I was like wow that's like really different and really powerful from ECW yeah I know but like <laughs> I know but the thing is it's like it's that thing of like for for British wrestling, yeah, okay. that no one was taking risks like that. Because this is the thing: the problem, the problem we had for a long time in British wrestling was that um, 
we had this obsession with getting on TV. Like, TV was the main thing, and like... And we had that obsession it, because the we, TV was taken away from us. Yeah, and, and again, the, the, the debate was always between the old lot, which was, well, we're British wrestling and we should be British wrestlers, and the new lot which was, well, this is a successful model, we should be copying this. And that's why like, a lot of like, American influence came in, but that's why we lost our identity for a long time. So I think, really, the thing that, that those storylines that you did, um, alongside the stuff that ICW then did, um, was really cement the fact that we shouldn't try and do a carbon copy of a successful thing. We should do something that's organic and, and is different. And I really think that like when that started to happen, a lot of things started to change. And like, again, it's that thing of like, I think everyone has like their own Island of like, well, this happened in this promotion. This was really different. And again, like, you know, there's, there's people out there that are real like historians for Northwest scene and, and, and will know better than me, but there was various storylines that people were doing up here that, that were different and, and organic and I think it was just a confirmation of, of these little pockets of ideas and little pockets of people that when like you know you guys did that and ICW did the whole Grado thing and they mm-hmm. did the whole documentary that it was almost like oh shit yeah why 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 are we trying to be but also I think you look at the, the two things that as an ICW had in common and it's it's less true now because the, the landscape has changed a lot in the world of wrestling and both from a point of people being under contract and also from the point of view of um, of fan expectation. So, but when we first started, we'd, we'd have an import maybe once every three or four shows. Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. Yeah. Like, Ricochet, we, I remember, we used uh, Cock Brown on the first show. We used Ricochet a couple of times. Um, that was about it. Yeah. Right? We, and, and the reason was, is we wanted to specifically, <laughs> the original reason was we didn't have enough money that was the original reason and there seemed to be no point spending a ton of money getting someone who may for example maybe used to be in because it felt like it's what a lot of promotions did yeah, someone yeah, who was. used to be in WWE who you can do photo opportunity with didn't yeah. seem like the didn't seem like what we wanted to do yeah. so we wanted to try and do something around all this British talent I'll be honest when we started I didn't know loads about the British talent I went yeah, and watched yeah, shows yeah. I was, was going to ask you about this yeah. I picked out people that I wanted to see and John picked out people he wanted to see and Glenn was more of an expert on the British scene than we were yeah um, and yeah it was just it, it was it, it, it was that thing of oh, we might as well use British people and the same way ICW was doing the same thing yeah. and specifically when we started we were using a lot of people the occasional person from from up north like Rampage who mm-hmm. came from Durham or wherever and then from young, young Zach Diamond and then young Zach Diamond Gibson um, but like we were mainly using people from the south because yeah, it was yeah, easier yeah. and it was cheaper and we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and ICW was the same. Built a great core of a core roster of Scottish guys. Not everyone was Scottish, mm. but a core roster of Scottish guys. And it meant that from a storytelling point of view, you've always got those people. If you fly someone in for one show, yeah, you don't have them for every show, mm. right? Now, what we've always tried to do since then with imports is try and use them a lot. So, for example. One of our champions in progress now is is Jordan Grace, who was an import, but she's both defended the title overseas because she can, mm. and we still try and use her whenever we can in this country. Mm. It's not an issue now that we can only afford to bring someone in once a year. But then, you know, I, I 
I enjoyed it when we started doing that, but then things do shift. And like a great example is for Super Strong Style 16. You put tickets on set for that. And um, one criticism of it is using a lot of imports. And the other criticism of it is, but I want to see this insert name of import. Yeah. So you caught kind of caught in the middle because as British wrestling fans, because our scene's so hot yeah. and everyone wants to come from overseas to come and work here, yeah. right? And all these cool companies are using cool imports yeah. all the time. What happens is you then, everyone's expectation of what you can have on a show raises up. And I think now, if we did a show, if we did a show now, a regular chapter show, mm-hmm. and we used a mixture of, uh, we used, we used all, if we used all British based talent and, we definitely did like we used to with a mixture of very, very newish mm-hmm. sort of guys at the, at the bottom of the card and established guys at the top. I think a lot of people will look at the card and go, but this doesn't seem very stacked because we've all mm. got used to it yeah. being the it's, way it is. And, it, and, you, and you're right, because like, I remember Gallagher, when when Gallagher was sort of on that tear in Manchester, and like he'd, he wrestled like RJ Singh, he wrestled Joel Revan, who were two fan, fantastic wrestlers, but it wasn't until the match he had with Davy Richards, which is the... If anyone's ever been to a British wrestling show in the last 15 years, we'll know the promo of, I don't know who you were before I had this match, but I sure know who you are now. Uh, promo. Wham, wham, wham. Uh, but for one of the first times ever, it was a, a legitimate thing, and, and they built to the uh, uh, the Royal College of Music in Manchester show, which was headlined by Gallagher and, and Davy Richards. And... and Again, it was one of the moments where it was like, oh, that import was accentuating a British talent who was on. Which is what we are. If you look back through the beginning sort of years of of progress, with the exception of uh, Samoa Joe, um, who I think nearly everybody on their first match in as an import, nearly (laughs) everyone loses. Yeah, Yeah. And it was, you know, it was to help establish our roster. That was the point. And. Uh, and again, it, I think it worked. Like mm. uh, I think it also meant that we fit that remit of like Jimmy was at the top of the card, having you know a long feud with with Will that also included Noam for a long time as well, yeah. uh, and Mark Andrews, and like so he's got this long feud going on with everybody who's a babyface. But underneath it, you know, we can have insane matches where we just go, hey, here's here's Prince Devitt and Zack Sabre Jr. I was going to say, yeah, like, yeah was... um, and that because that show. And and that's such it's such a serendipitous moment in that the sound failed for that show, so we yeah. put it out for free. And so many people have watched that show, and yeah. especially in America, when people say the first show they've ever seen of ours is nearly always that show. And we've put other mm-hmm. shows up for free since because we can. Um, but ideally, we want people to subscribe to Demand Progress. That's how we make a living. But mm. I think like that one show, and in particular the. Um, that match um, is bought because Finn Balor is such a huge name now it's bought so many people mm-hmm. and don't forget he had like two of his last indie matches were for us I think his last ever indie match was for us yeah. um, which was when, against Jimmy mm-hmm. um, and was there Hannibal that was the Hannibal yeah. one um, where we kept him locked in a room because garage is so small there's nowhere to hide <laughs> just kept him locked in a room attached to a tray his little <laughs> thing yeah, he just, fucking weird day uh, but, a lot of weird days because of wrestling like, yeah, and, and yeah, now yeah. like you're so used to it that I'm, you're almost like I try to not I try to not have it be too weird anymore like because it's I, I can I mean I can I can tell you the moments that I have literally had so there's two moments that stood out for me when I literally my brain 
went, oh, you're in a really weird situation. So when I introduced the Elite versus British Strong Style at Dream Tag, the first ever one, mm-hmm. which, again, to put into context for, for people that now go to Fight Club Pro, we were really, we were at Fiction and we were getting, and, and again, I'm, I'm sure Trent will come and find me and beat me up for giving incorrect figures, but we were getting roughly about 250 into Fiction and that was a good show. Hmm. To, we it's a small venue, to be a fair. A tiny you venue. You can't get any more. No, it. no, it was literally cramped. And then to go into the banqueting hall and get in over 1,000, like, I'm sure it was like, it was close to 1,500 hmm. on the back of that. And my brain just had this moment where, like, like I, it's still my best G up, and you'll know this as an MC, that you never leave you. And like I did this whole thing, because we were running late, and it was sweaty and hot, and it was just awful, and I just went fucking ham on it, and like riled everyone up, and then the British Strong Style music hits, and everyone loses their mind, and it was like just that perfect storm moment, and like, like yeah, and I'm really in the minute, uh, like the, the moment, and then just about to introduce like, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and my brain goes, fuck me, what are you doing in this ring? That's fucking New Japan guys and new WWE guys. I was like, oh shit, shut up, brain. So I'm like, kind of like, if you watch the video back, I'm like, fight myself internally. And the only other time that I was like, what the fuck, was when I introduced Shima. Because I loved him as a teenager. And it, never in my brain was there ever going to be a moment where I was going to introduce a Japanese wrestler. So I, like, with me, there's little... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's, there's little moments both with me, me day job now where I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe I've met this person or, mm. or you know, been backstage when this has happened or, you know, like... That, that to me is nuts because I've been a fan like I've been yeah. a fan since I was four years old like this is like 37 years of being a wrestling fan and now mm. my full time living you know my, my joyous hobby of being a wrestling promoter has led to me getting a full time job in the world of wrestling which I adore and like that's mad and and there'll be times I'll just sit there and just go oh I'm sat next to this person this is 
this is a bit surreal, or this person knows my name is like, and, and any, also in your head as well, especially from working for WWE, you, you get to the point where you're like, you build up in your head, you, you build up this idea of, oh, I've lost, oh I, I, I don't know why people are going to be nice to me. And all, all I've done is meet people who are nice to me. And not only people who are nice to me, but people who are nice to me and value what I do for a living. Mm. And like that, I spend quite a lot of time just going, I can't believe insert name here said yeah, good yeah. job to that. Like I just to me that's that's crazy. Yeah. Um and there's been definitely been moments of progress. Introducing Samoa Joe was a big deal for me. Uh introducing Finn Balor was a big deal for me. Um on the three occasions I've done it. Yeah. Um uh like even like at the beginning of the show at Wembley, I I don't tend to think about things a lot of the time because it's not like I'm just the yeah, ring announcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm just the ring announcer, I go out. I think I'd have more time to panic about stuff. Mm-hmm. But because I'm backstage doing everything as well, mm-hmm. not everything. Obviously, John does most of it. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. flipping heck. No, but you know what I mean. I'm doing all my other jobs as yeah, well. Yeah. So I'm then, I'm then going out like at Wembley. It was literally like, oh, is that band finished yet? That yeah, was yeah, all yeah. I was doing. Is like, yeah. we need to get going now. And then I go out there and I'm like, oh. Oh, was nearly five thousand people. I told you about my de- my delay Wembley cry. No, when I kept on going on about Wembley, that I was like, I'm gonna cry, but I don't know when it is. Mm. Like the whole show was fine. After party became a joke and whatever. Two weeks later, I watched the whole show. Just got to the main event, burst out crying. I was like, oh, that's what it was then. I've never watched the show back. Watch I don't. I, so I you don't, don't. You don't do this, do you? So this, is, cause I, this is why I still have a job, isn't it? Because you don't listen back to my commentary. I've listened to it from the eighties show. <laughs> oh my um, gosh! <laughs> so I, so I will watch if a talent asks me to watch one of their matches back or a promo back. I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, but I've watched the show. I was there. I've got. I've moved on to the next one in my head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but or if if I think something's like some of my favourite ever matches, I've watched multiple times because I'll. I'll show them friends when I want them to see mm. what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. So like Walter and Thatcher yeah. and uh, Mighty Skull and Chris Hero and um, uh, Jimmy Havoc and Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. And, and like, these are all things I will show people. Uh, uh, Jordan Devlin, Will Ospreay, Jordan Devlin, Kyle O'Reilly from Super Strong Style, which is a, uh, a match at the time. I don't Oof. think I appreciate how good it is. Um, but like I'll, I have to watch the shows back for really mundane reasons, like to time how long the music is and stuff, which is just really boring filing stuff I have to do. Yeah. And so I, I'll watch that and then I'll maybe watch a little bit of a match and that's it. But I, I very rarely watch a whole show because for me, I've got to get all this information out of the show in like an hour window yeah. when I'm not um, when I'm not doing my, my actual job and I'm not like looking after my son. Yeah. So I, I just don't get it. <laughs> you're, re- you're real son, not me. Yeah, yeah. the real one, the yeah. lad. Um, so... So yeah, right. right. Question. Yeah. Uh, on the import subject, mm. as a car reverses aggressively, it's really aggressive bike. reverse, oh, isn't it? Where's he going? Is he doing a J turn? Yeah, oh God! Um, right. We've talked about imports. Mm. Very fortunate to work with some awesome people. Who that you haven't booked import wise? Would you love to book? Well, uh, we've now booked her. That was Miko Satamora. Yeah. Um, which I'll come back to a story about her in a minute, which okay. a lot of people have heard me and you talk about before, I think. Um, so Miko's one. Um, I I love Japanese wrestling, so mm-hmm. would I'd like I'd like to use more Japanese wrestlers, but I answer this question a lot in Q and A's like contractually 
it's a problem. We can't use New Japan guys because the deal they have in this country is they can only work for RevPro. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Is what it is. Um, we can't. Uh, we've tried to use people from NOAA and All Japan and places like that, but it's not the easiest thing to do because there's a lot of political manoeuvring you have to do in order to make those deals work mm. um, which is a shame because you know some, using someone like Miyahara would have been great oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we all and for every super strong style we've always tried which is why it was so great when someone like Shihiro Irie came over mm. and he's unattached and we're like brilliant we can just have him around and he's great I, st- I still um, remember when you booked Flamita because um, I know that about it mm. and we it was based on me watching one match. Yeah, yeah. And you so we discussed this over dinner. So there's a, a, a writer called Arnold Furious, who's a good dude, and uh, he's written two. He's written three books. I think only two of them have been published, um, uh, which are basically just his adventures through watching a whole year of Japanese wrestling. Mm. And in one of those books, which I was reading with great interest, he talked about a Flamita match in Dragon Gate. So I went and watched this match. Found it on the internet. Watched the match, was blown away by it, was blown away by Flamita. Yeah. Showed it to John and went, we need to book him. And he went, okay. Then it took nine months to book him yeah. because he's terrible at answering his emails. Um, but that was. I, it was there, and because and I, I was half watching Dragon Gate at the time, and mm. you were like, oh, you've watched this match. I was like, yeah. And we were going on about the outside in 450. Yeah. Which was just. I've still never. But seen also him the fact that. the thing that blew me away most about him was oh, he wasn't just before, a yeah. luchador. Yeah, he did all the stuff that I like. So yeah. all of his strike because I apologise if you're a lucha libre purist, but I like some lucha I really like. And there's you know there's great guys like obviously we use Daga and Aerostar during Super Strong Style. I think both those guys are great. Uh, Pentagon and Phoenix are obviously two of the absolute best in the world. Ray Horace yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, Bandido's yeah. worked for us. And indeed, he's a former tag team champion with Flamita. Those guys are fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that is brilliant in its place within the world of Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. But then when you take those guys out of it and put it in a different wrestling environment, yeah. isn't the best. In the same way there is with Japanese guys. The same yeah. way there is with British guys who kill it here and then can't seem to catch a break somewhere else. Yeah. It's just one of those things. But then... You do watch people like uh, like uh, Hijo del Vikingo at the minute, oh, yeah, uh, Laredo Kid as well. Like you watch these guys and go, if only there's a way. But it's trying to find a reason to use yeah. someone. Like booking someone like Miko. The reason is she's the best wrestler in the world. Yes, pretty easy. Like that's a very yeah. easy title match for me to make. It's so the thing with Miko though is is it's taken a while for her to come. Into progress, and she's been to a progress show. She has. I was there. Um, uh, I so, mean, I was there when she was in Nando's later on with Emmy Sakura. So uh, as well. So to explain what happened, and she nearly worked for us that day. Yeah. So, so uh, Miko uh, does Wrestle Queendom either on the Saturday or the Sunday. So mm-hmm. she's in London, and uh, Chris Brooks says, "Oh, can Miko come down for the last day of Super Strong Style?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And bearing in mind, I'd seen her the day before, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd been introduced to her before, I think at Fight Club Pro, I think. So I'd already met her once. Yeah, I think you right. were at a show when she was there, yeah. So, I've been introduced to her before, I've been a fan of her for a long time, and also, like, <laughs> watched her on Nitro when I was a kid, for God's sake. Like, yeah. You know, so she's still younger than me, don't worry. Um, uh, and, oh, I know, because I could have put her in the Hall of Fame, could I? And I was annoyed. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so she's... The previous night, the Sunday night, 
There's a Nando's near the hotel where all, oh, all yeah. the talent are in oh, yeah. uh, for Super Strong Style. Um, in I want to say in Finchley in London, wherever it was. So in this Nando's, um, apparently Will Ospreay had told, who was at the show, because I think we did Angle, didn't he? Russell, we did Angle. Oh, yeah. So Will, Will had thing, told yeah. Miko about uh, Nando's, and she'd never been to Nando's. So Miko <laughs> and Emmy proceed to sit in Nando's for legit three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because me and... Everyone had sort of passed. I went yeah, and got yeah, takeout yeah. because I don't really like sitting in restaurants and stuff after I've been mm. working. So I went and got takeout and whatever. And I'm sitting there for half an hour waiting for my takeout and she's there just eating all this chicken. Like They, they ordered everything on the menu. Oh, they did, yeah, in, yeah. Right? Um, and it's really good as well because like, she's one of the most sensibly dressed ladies mm-hmm. in the world. Like, um, I always think dresses slightly like she's a, a teacher. That's, Which yeah. she, obviously she is because she's one of the best wrestling teachers yeah. in the world. But like, um, and I was just like, she's so and she's so nice, and she comes she backstage at yeah. Progress on the Monday, and she's really happy to be there. But when she was on the way there, we thought about putting her in the Hangover Scramble. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Right. Okay. So I'm messaging Chris Brooks, going, "Tell her to bring a gear," and he couldn't. She'd already on her way before. Mm. She got, but if she'd have bought a gear, mm. Miko Satamora would have been in the Wasteman Challenge Hangover Scramble. Okay. Trying to explain the concept of that match to her would have been one because we've had to explain it to Flamita once, yeah, and that was yeah. weird enough, right? But like, it would have been one of the coolest things in the world, and one hundred percent she would have won it. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, because I don't think we could have convinced anyone otherwise. Mm. But then, at the end of the show, she was talking to me, and she was like, oh, "I come and work here," and I was like, "I'd love you to, but." And I gave her the reason why I wouldn't. And also, she did say to me, you are a very good talker, which is one of the <laughs> nicest things. Like, oh, so cool coming from you. Um, and one of the main reasons we didn't want to book her was because she was Fight Club Pro champion for a long time. Yeah. And didn't want it to be that she'd then come into us and, you know, potentially might not be winning when she's the champion of another promotion that mm. I'm in particular a big fan of. So it, it did seem like, and we were very... So I think we were very patient because we were desperate to use her. Uh, and now, you know, uh, things have changed a little bit and we can. But um, I'm very excited about that. I yeah, think the, the reaction to it as well, when we announced it was people going, oh, what? Hang on. Because it, it is, it's a big show, the show in September. And we want to make the biggest possible deal out of doing that show at the Alexandra Palace again. It, it, I think it's fascinating for me with, with, with Miko uh, that... She has done so much for British female wrestling because mm. she's obviously with the likes of Millie going over to Japan to do Sendai, you know, Chevens, even people like Jordan Grace that's had an opportunity to go over there. But she she absolutely would have, even if she had come here or not. But um, obviously Heidi Katrina's out there as well as, as, a, as a regular member of the roster. So I think it's, she's just this such a fascinating footnote in an incredible career that. That Miko Satamora came and got involved in British wrestling at a really mm. peak time, and I think that's that's there's something I don't know. There's just something really l- like charming about that because uh, again, like she's she's a legend. There's, mm. there's, there's not be around the bush. She doesn't need to be here. She doesn't need to be involved. And every time she's she's been over, she absolutely loves wrestling, not just the girls, like anyone. And I think that's super cool, man. The, the best bit about her is is. So, say you've got a legacy like she has, and you're in your late 30s, um, uh, you could phone it in a bit. Yeah. 
But she doesn't. She doesn't matter. Doesn't, Dude, I've been ringside when she's hit the max kick. She doesn't phone in. But, but she could. Yeah, she could. And she, she hasn't. No. Because she's, she's, she doesn't she's, want to. Because she's, she's a pro. Because she's yeah. exactly what, if Regal was still wrestling, he'd be exactly the same. Yeah. That's, that, that's how I look at it. She's, yeah. the, she's the Japanese female equivalent of William Regal. That's what she is. It's high praise, though. So, um, yeah. And, and being able to use her is great. And, you know, and also, you know, being able to do that little thing of saying, explaining why because people have wanted us to use her for ages but mm. you know like dates didn't always line up and we always wanted to be respectful of mm. what was going on with Fight Club so you know it's um it's, it's the right it's the right way to conduct yourself in it it is yeah well um we'll talk about the day job in a bit mm. um, um we'll probably end on that um how long are we going doing good 53 minutes it's I not know, bad for tight, us. It, for us we usually would be we'd be talking about tight. what we did in 1997 while watching Plymouth Argyle and I did used to go, did to, go to, to Argyle. I, 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 used to, I used to go and watch Argyle because I lived in Cornwall. I was a young pilgrim. When did you live in Cornwall? Um, when I, from five to ten, I lived in St. Austell, which has now got the Eden Project, but it wasn't there at the time. That's where my uncle used to live. How um, but yeah, I was a young pilgrim and I used to support Argyle. So when did you get, when does Blackburn, there was the full rundown. So I started supporting... No, I'm just trying to figure out where you lived. So where were you Oh, born? so I was born in South Wales, in, in Murphy. Yep. So one naught uh, to five yep. down to Saint Austell and Cornwall yep. five to ten and then I went up north. Well, it was about five to nine, but then I went up to Southport originally. But football wise, I'd already started supporting Rovers around like ninety four. When they won the league, yeah, I'm a, I'm a glory. I was a glory supporter, which is the the, the, the most hilarious thing because the reason I stopped supporting. Thanks for sticking with them. Um, well, I stopped supporting them, didn't I? Because the they sold the club and it just completely changed. So I used to work for a uh, internet sports station yeah. called Sports Tonight, which is where if you go on YouTube, put my just name sounds, in. Sounds like it, Alan Partridge oh, sketch rock. show. Right, <laughs> uh, probably still owe me money, right? And they did this, they did this um, like mostly sports phone-in thing every weekend. So I'd end up mm. being doing that and I'd do another like sports panel show during the week. And then they went, do you want to do a wrestling show? And I was like, mm. cool. Um, and it was just, a, it was a cool thing for me to do. At the time, I kind of wanted to be a TV presenter. I'd been a radio presenter and it was like, it was one of these things that I'd do. But whenever we did the phone-in on a Sunday, I'd always goad Blackburn fans. They're easily goadable. Because like, it was the whole, um, who was that? one of their managers under Venkies? Uh, Steve Keane. Steve Keen was Keen the one. Out. Yeah. So it was the Keen Out stuff. I stopped sporting. It, it was the Keen Out stuff because I think at the time they were in the championship as well. So the reason why the Keen, because I, I, it's, it's frustrating because because a lot of people think the reason why a lot of Blackburn fans stopped sporting Blackburn was because of the fact that we got relegated and we went down and down and down. It wasn't. It's because the whole of the club changed. There was I can never remember his name, and I know there'll be a Blackburn fan listening to this screaming it. But it's um, the liaison between the board. And what used to be the uh, the the Jack Walker family, uh, Kenny. I want to say Kenny Williams, but that's just making me think of the wrestler. He ended up going to Man City. Actually, um, it was the the minute he left the board, I was like, the club's in trouble. Um, but the reason why a lot of Blackburn fans didn't like Steve Keane is because he stabbed Allardyce in the back, and it's not like we really liked Allardyce because yeah, we no, had massive we, back to stab. He did, it. and like a big <laughs> fatty gammon back. Um, and like, because I, I even I was like, I don't really want a former Bolton Wanderers manager coming in, especially when it's Big Sam and whatever. Especially after we'd been spoilt with Mark Hughes and, and that team that we had with like Morton Gabs Pedersen, David Bentley when he was good, Santa Cruz, McCarthy, and all that. 
But it was just that thing of like there was you could just tell that that club was on a downward spiral in terms of what the club was and what it meant to the community. Even the state of the ground, man. Like the state of the ground used to be like really spick and span, and like it was a oh, really rubbish now. It really nice, family friendly mm. environment, and it's just. It's 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 so it's a genuine shame. Like, and the only reason why I don't call myself a Blackburn fan now is because I think that would be disrespectful because I couldn't even tell you who plays for him. Do you know? Have I told you my story about me being chased around Blackburn at the age of about nineteen, twenty years old? No, but I kind of want to know now. So we played Blackburn away. I want to. It's the last day of the season. It was the season we won the League Cup. So it was nineteen ninety-seven. Right. Um, and it's the last day. Of the <laughs> That's season. dead weird because I'm trying to figure out if I would have been watching Rovers around then. I you think probably would. I think well, you wouldn't have been one of the people chasing me. They were quite, no, they were quite no, because I, I would have. It might have been just before. I would have been ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. So, um, I think we lost three two, but it didn't matter because uh, I think Coventry got relegated, which I was delighted about. And um, I think Coventry got relegated. It might be the next season they got relegated. But I just remember um, we finished. I think we finished eighth, which was a big deal to us because mm. we never thought that happened. Look at us now. Um, but even now, I'm still realistic. Like yeah. looking on our forums, it's brilliant because obviously it's close season at the minute, and we're trying to buy Yuri Tielemans, who's one of the best players in the world. And the amount of people going, just just give them the money. Like we're never going to get top six. We're never going to get top six again. We've angered all the big teams. We won the league. We've completed football. Just step away. Like that's like the, now we have this weird sense of entitlement of well. Mm. Well, again, it's that thing. If you spoil people, yeah, like yeah. our fans are like, "We've won the league, so when are we going to challenge for the league again?" Never, never. That's when. It's a never. Once in a lifetime. Don't worry. Do you know what's funny? And also, if we win the league again, it means that's not a special. No. <laughs> so, oh no, no. Um, <laughs> you were saying about Coventry, which really caught me off. It's like, who hates Coventry? Uh, Chase Alexander is a Coventry fan. Really, he's the only Coventry fan I've ever met. Billy McKenzie's a Coventry fan. Well, that's understandable because you're from Coventry. I don't know where he's from. Chase, let me know where you're from. Uh, my, my uncle was weirdly... Uh, my uncle born in Murphy Tidville, South Wales, I, was a Coventry fan for a I, long time. I, um... So, also, by the way, Pip, we're just turning this podcast into... Football now, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so, I'm gonna James, tell you, James Richardson to now. I'm going to tell you two Coventry stories and also the, like, the Blackburn thing was when I was younger, I was, not necess- I was never really badly behaved at the football but I was a gobshite. That is um, shocking. And I was a gobshite until uh, before this incident. Like I was, I was more of a gobshite uh, until the age of seventeen when Leicester got promoted in the playoffs. We played Stoke away, and I got a proper kicking, got proper hiding off Stoke fans, like really bad. Oh, wow. So I behaved myself a little bit more. Not at this trip to Blackburn um, because this was a point where I was still drinking, and I thought this was a really good idea. <laughs> so. On the way into Ewood Park, I'm walking. I'm with my dad. I'm walking along with my dad and a couple of my mates, and I'm like, "It's depressing here, isn't it?" And my dad goes, "Yeah, it looks like the Hovis advert." So I then decide to try and rile as many Blackburn fans as possible by singing the Hovis music at the very top of my lungs um, until a load of them decided to try and chase me to stop it happening. So the co- two Coventry things, right? It's a DL. Um, First thing, uh, there used to be a stand-up gig in the Showcase Cinema in Coventry. I think it's still there. So basically, they'd empty out one of the cinema screens. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and yeah. they'd do stand-up in there. It was one of the yeah, worst they're... gigs. 
<laughs> legit one of the worst gigs in the country. Who, um, if you still think it's a good idea to run a gig in a cinema, get in the fucking sea, yeah. never come near comedy again. There's a lot of people who can never come near comedy again. I'm a lot more bitter about comedy than I am about wrestling. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you a question in a minute, but I think no, I know the answer. I, um, see the stand-up show I'm doing next year. I'm going to burn all bridges. Um, so, I, so I was well-known... If you lived where I so I grew up in Henkley, which is between Leicester and, and, and Coventry, and if you if you supported Coventry or Leicester, you probably knew who I was because I used to get at every game home and away, yeah. even in the first few years of me doing stand up. So I go and do this gig in Coventry, and there's a load of like Coventry's firm in there, mm. and they're stood at the bar, and I'm like, ah, there's a back door. So I do my one Coventry City related joke, which is. Uh, I grew up in Hinckley, which is equidistant, good word, equidistant between Leicester and Coventry. In the middle of Leicester and Coventry. So when you were a kid, you, you grew up supporting one or two teams. Either mm-hmm. you were like me, and you supported Leicester City, or mm-hmm. you supported Manchester United. And like, <laughs> I just started throwing glasses at me. It was great. Uh, I did need an escort out. That's, um, that's actually probably the only... And then this is... <laughs> and this is the other one. And this is, this is genius. Mm-hmm. And I told Mr. Regal about this a little while ago, because it's of a, a, a genre of music we're both fans of. Yeah. So... We're playing Coventry at Highfield Road. And before the game, there's a DJ who I don't think had ever worked in a football stadium before. And he's like, I'm taking requests. I'll play whatever you want. And he reads out a message, which is, this is dedicated to all the Coventry City fans from your friends at Leicester City. And proceeds to play Ghost Town by The Specials, a song about how shit Coventry is. Genius. That's a hell of a song. That is, but what a practical That's good. That's all. You can't get away with that stuff anymore. Like in, in, <laughs> That's uh, such a dad thing to say. You can't, okay. Oh, yeah. Political correctness has gone mad. Well, it's, no, it's not. It's just, it's just the, you know, there's lots of money in football. So, it's a, um, I've got two questions for you for, off, off the back of that. I was going to say, you're going to ask me the comedy one? Yeah, that, I'll say that one to last. Okay. So, you're, you, you know, you're a fortunate man for many reasons. Yeah. Um, Fucking looked out massively all through life. Yeah. Would you would you trade what you're doing now to like host match of the day? No. Do you not? No, I love my job. I love my job so much. Like I I'm cannot. not I'm not trying to get you into trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. I know you're not. And and here's the thing. Like I just avoid questions about it. But yeah. I, I I was talking to someone else about it the other day and I have nothing bad to say about my job. I love it. Mm. And um like my my job with WWE is a joy and yeah. I absolutely adore it. And yeah, it's meant I can't do comedy anymore because yeah. I don't have any time. And that's fine. I was yeah. done with it anyway. So, like, so, and I miss it. I, like, from time to time, I'm like, I'm, I'll take the MC and gig. Because people go, oh, you're like Terry Funk, you keep coming back from retirement. But no, I'm, I am retired. It's not my job anymore. Like, yeah. I will do the occasional guest appearance because a mate ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I miss it. And also, I, it's the only thing I've got to fall back on. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing is, like, um, the other one was, would you go back and do comedy? But, it's that thing of like, I know how close you are with certain people from the scene and, and, and it's not like a, uh, you know, it's the way you are in wrestling now is that you've got your mates. Just because yeah. you met them through that thing, you're still, you're still your mates. Yeah. I mean, like we've got a mutual friend in Tony Jameson. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like, it's, it's, and I know you're still tied with uh, lads up in Sheffield as well. And it's like, that's, 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 a, I think that's a nicer thing to have. Because again, I think I, I, correct me if if I'm, I'm if I'm speaking out of turn here, but you really got to a point with comedy where you were burnt out with it, mm. and like when we would hang out, like 
I do five gigs a week. You just hated it. I do five gigs a week. I travel a thousand miles. And here's the thing, like one of my most vivid memories about doing doing comedy was I used to drive a proper piece of shit Ford Fiesta when I first met my wife. And I remember I, I did a gig. I want to say in Nantwich, but the the, oh. the town hall in Nantwich is a good gig. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, 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 it's a good gig run by a, run by a wrestling fan. I am confident we've done a wrestling show in Nantwich. Probably in the same place, right? Yeah. So, and I did, it's the, I did the gig. Uh, I want to say I did it last New Year's Eve. Not, well, it wouldn't have been this last New Year's Eve because I wasn't doing comedy, but the year before. And great gig, love doing it. Um, and the gig's in front of four hundred people, and I've done one of the best MCing performances in my life. And I leave, and as I'm leaving, like all the punters are leaving at the same time, and they see me getting this piece of shit Ford Fiesta, and you can see them all looking at me, going, "Well, he must have a drug problem or something, because that could be the only reason why he's not driving a fucking Rolls Royce like Bernard Manning used to drive." No, no, here's the reason. Like that wow. gig actually paid all right. Yeah, yeah. But most comedy didn't. Yeah. And if you factor in, if you factor in how many miles I used to have to do, and, um. And here's the thing, I love comedy. And, and yeah, the, yeah, the no, best no. thing about not doing comedy anymore is I now enjoy, enjoy comedy again. Yeah. Like, I've, I listen to at least one stand-up special a day, which is what inspired me to want to do I mean, do every time year. I get in your car and you don't want to talk to me anymore on the long drive home from progress. It's because we've literally discussed everything we can discuss. And all we do is... All we do is... Is get miserable about stuff we shouldn't get miserable about. <laughs> so there's no point. So like after after a while of complaining about shit we can't ever change. I mean that's the name of our double act, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like let's stop being miserable. Let's stop. Let's get a cake. Yeah. And listen to some fucking yeah. stand up, and I'll blow your mind with some cool stand up. That's what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. And but that's what I used to be like before comedy, and now yeah. and then comedy made me see wrestling has never made me like that. No point of working in wrestling has made me not want to watch more wrestling. I just, it's it's see the, the the thing is like but everything in comedy made me not want to watch comedy and part of it was the fact that I can say it's now because I don't give a shit anymore mm. um like it's the most unfair industry in the world here's the good thing about wrestling as a rule if you're a twenty year old kid and you're you're breaking into wrestling mm. right and you've already been wrestling three or four years yeah. and you're getting good you will get signed by someone yeah. right. Uh, that will happen yeah right it's not like we started talking about at the start like there were people who did get overlooked because there wasn't a scene not anymore if you're dead good now you will get signed whether it's the WWE or elsewhere you will get signed if you're good someone will notice you you will make a living out of wrestling yeah right that to me and if you and if you're absolutely dreadful Mm. you probably won't get signed (laughs) right like that's and that to me that's really fair because people Uh, are people are uh, are rewarded based on their level of skill. Yeah. Right? Comedy is not strictly speaking like that. And this is not me going, well, why wasn't I alive at the Apollo? First of all, I wasn't good enough to be alive at the Apollo. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Mm. But I was good. I was booked by nearly every promoter in the country. I did, uh, And even then, I did not make enough to be able to live moderately comfortably. Yeah. Right? No one in comedy does. I was a starving artist for a good decade despite mm. having a really good agent who looked after me despite mm. doing radio despite doing television I was never well off the, the only thing that that got me out of debt was doing voiceover work mm. right comedy never would have got and this is what I always say to comedians new comedians if they want advice from me is get another job yeah. like progress was my other job comedy was my yeah. main job progress was my other job and now it's flip progress is still my other job and WWE is my main job right that's how it is and the amount of people I know 
the amount of amazing comedians I know who will never get on television, mm. right? And and you'll get you'll get older people in the world of comedy who go, oh well, it's because of political. It's nothing to do with political correctness, mm. right? It's completely right. This, this thing that came up the other week. Uh, about them not wanting all male writing teams anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, they shouldn't want yeah. all male writing teams. It's the stupidest thing in the world. 2019. Yeah, it's 2019, Fox. and at least half your audience is probably going to be female. Exactly. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Right. So, you know, from that point of view, it, it like it's absolutely. I, I I never look at it that oh I I wouldn't I maybe I would have been one of the six panelists on Mock the Week if they didn't always have to have a woman on it I'm not one of those fucking idiots who think stupid things like that because as a rule nearly all the women who are on Mock the Week are friends of mine and they're all dead good at comedy right but there are plenty of people who don't ever get noticed and the the biggest problem within comedy is ageism so I'm 41 like I didn't start comedy until I was 27 I didn't get good until I was 30 by the time I was 30 I was too old yeah Right, by the time I was 35, I could have entered Old Comedian of the Year at 35. Oh. When I was 16... I've got something to look forward right? to. <laughs> when, I, when I was 16, my favourite comedian in the world, who still is, was Frank Skinner. No. Right, Frank Skinner was nearly 40 when I was 16. So, it, it's absolutely ludicrous to, to yeah. think like that. It, and it's, that, it's the weird, it's, it's what's known in comedy is the BBC Three mentality. Because BBC Three was this incredibly important channel, and it's mm. not, because it went bust. Like, like, but it was seen as this incredibly important channel to everybody, and, and, and the only people who are watching it are 14 to 20-year-olds. Mm. Well, when I was 14 to 20, I was laughing at people who were in their 40s. Yeah. I was laughing at Monty Python. I, yeah. was laughing, like, I wasn't laughing at, I wasn't laughing at people who were making jokes aimed at me, because... Yeah. To me, that was basically like watching Nickelodeon. Do, do, do you know what I think? Do you know what's, I, I think it's really interesting is though is like you're talking about comedy in a, in a way that that wrestling used to be like. Like, I, like again, I've, I've said it on this podcast before, but I I left wrestling when I was 21 mm. for three years, two and a half to three years, and and then I only kind of half came back and started ring announcing. Uh, because because of Bailey and like his his suggestion, but I just got so burnt out with wrestling because it was that thing of like it wasn't even it wasn't even the, the the thing of like oh well you know you're never gonna get to go to WWE because that was like a given but it just became so frustrating because it felt like it felt like everyone was just fighting over scraps and like these tiny little patches of earth that that meant nothing instead of enjoying the thing that we all love and like I never like I never felt out of out of love with wrestling like I used to always say that like the one thing that I've always loved about wrestling is the minute the bell rings and the match happens that's it everything before it at that point in my life I hated like it just wore me down um and I think what was so good was having that break away and then coming back to it and remembering that I loved it and then it just seemed to go from that point of view that point where like I think people just started enjoying it again and then opportunity opened. But I really think that like that that some form of separation sometime is needed if you're getting burnt out with something because I, I, I think it's that thing because like even now like with comedy it's like I know you hated 
the industry, but you're coming back and doing that special in 2020. And yeah, it's because you still love comedy. But I'm doing that also to have a legacy because I've got nothing to show for nearly 15 years, isn't it? Yeah. Next year I will have been doing it 15 years. And I've got... Oh, you want to do that? I mean, I'm in my 15th year in wrestling. I need to do something, yeah. don't I? So, like, but I've got no... Right, I'm having a death match. <laughs> I've got no legacy for having done, like, 2,000-odd gigs. I get it, I get that. Like, yeah. and... 2,000 odd gigs and genuinely only ever having two really bad deaths in that time which is a good thing yeah. Like, but I also never got to do what I wanted to do mm. and, and there's, there's you know there's so much in comedy I wanted to do that I'd never get the opportunity no matter how hard I work like I got to do one little thing for Radio 4 once I love mm. radio and I'm a trained radio presenter and I'm not thick like I do a good job of pretending that I am when it suits me but I'm really not right and like, I was desperate to do stuff for Radio 4, and the amount of times I'd be told it's not really suitable, which what it really meant is you're common. Mm. Like, you didn't go to Oxford and Cambridge, mm-hmm. which is, you know, there's, there's huge parts of the, the, and this is why wrestling's so good. At no point am I going to turn down the, if I see a video of two wrestlers and they're both brilliant, I'm going to want to book both of them. Mm. I'm not going to want to book one of them because he went to fucking Eton or Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> Right, but that's not what it's like in the entertainment industry. Yeah, 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 like there's that. this weird old boys network that no one even knows they're part of, and then all of a sudden that's what happens. Yeah, and every my my agent, she's still my agent. She has to fight against that shit all the time, mm. and it's stupid. It makes no sense. Wrestling is not like that. Yeah, right, and never has been and never will be. Oh. Right, yeah, you, you know if you've got an incredibly powerful friend in the world of wrestling, it might help you out. But that's the most that happens. No one's looking at what college you went to. If you're if you're trying to get, if, I'd be in trouble. Do, do you know what I mean? But no. like, if you try and get a job in the entertainment industry as a okay. writer in yeah, Los yeah. Angeles, they're going to look and see if you went to an Ivy League college first, yeah. or if you paid a lot of money to go and work at one of the uh, the improv schools. That's what they're going to look at. They're not. Whereas if you're a wrestler, like yeah, if you get a great collegiate background and that's why you're coming in and that's why you're being signed, yeah. brilliant. But they're not looking at that. They're looking at how good a wrestler you are, how much you connect with an audience. Yeah. That's how comedy should be judged, and it isn't. Because I know for a fact the best comedians in this country are not on television. Yeah. The best comedians in this country are not doing huge theatre tours. Yeah. Right? Everyone who is doing those things is good. I'm not saying they're yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? But the best, the very best, are being ignored. The best comedian in this country, if you love comedy, you know who he is, is Daniel Kitson. Daniel Kitson is the best comedian this country has has produced in years. Daniel Frank Skinner's famous, so people know him. Daniel mm. Kitson, most people know him as the short sighted guy who was an, who was the worked behind the bar in Phoenix Nights. Mm-hmm. Right? He's unbelievably good at what he does. And yet very few people outside of a little clique of comedy fans know who he is. Mm. And that's wrong. He should be the most famous person in this country. Right? But the way our fame structure is and everything is wrong. And mm. I started stand-up around the time that reality TV started becoming a really big thing. And it fucking ruined it for us. Yeah. Like, um, a few years ago, all of us would... We'd say no to doing Britain's Got Talent. Like, everyone would get asked and we'd all say no. Whereas now, I've got a friend who's won Britain's Got Talent. Uh, Lee Ridley, yeah. the Lost Voice guy. So, yeah. and, I've weirdly seen and been part of his show. Yeah, and he's great. Yeah. And it's brilliant really for him. He's brilliant really for him that he won that. But, a lot, but that's now your best bet. Yeah, yeah. Like... Your best bet is for that. And and that makes it an incredibly unfair industry and only brings into sharper focus what a wonderful place wrestling is. Like People like to try and make problems with it. Then mm. It's not a problematic place. It is a good place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I, I do think the fact that if you're good, 
people will notice. You will not go unnoticed unless your attitude is rotten. That's the only way. Yep. And then, but that's I'm a big believer in that. If you're a brilliant comedian and your attitude's awful and you're rude to everybody backstage, and one of the most famous comedians in this country, I won't name, mm. one of the most famous comedians in this country is one of the worst human beings in this country. Like, um, but we let him get away with it. Why? Yeah. In wrestling, that doesn't happen. If you're one of the best wrestlers in the world, but you walk into a locker room and you're a dick, you get found out really, really quickly. Yeah. And and that's why I love wrestling. And that's why wrestling has not ground me down, but comedy has. Yeah. That was a long-winded explanation, but I think I made a point. I feel like I feel like it was cathartic and you've got it out of your system, man. I did. God. I, I, well, that's the thing, because for a long time, I, I didn't feel I could criticise it. And I might yeah. still have to go back to doing it. Like, that's the biggest fucking fear. Like, yeah, please, please find this episode when it went in like twenty twenty two when he's back on, back on showcase theater in, in Coventry in front of Coventry fans and he's doing the United joke. I think, all I, over again. I think if I, I genuinely think if if wrestling fell through for me now and it might, yeah. like I'm going to work really hard and make sure it doesn't. Mm. But if wrestling did fall through for me, then I'd. I'm a writer, so I can write and stuff, but there's yeah. not a lot of money in that. So I'd work in a fucking warehouse or drive a van. I'm not bothered. I'm not proud. Like yeah. it's oh no, you know I do whatever. No, I, I, I used to I used to work in a warehouse when I was a kid, and it was the most joyous I think I've ever felt because I had tons of time to think of ideas yeah. about stuff I could write later on and not have to worry about paying the bills. There we go. So to me, that's you know that's that's ideal, and and, and I'll do whatever I need to do to feed my family. It's just it's awesome that at the minute. Um, it's awesome at the minute that I I don't need to stress about that sort of stuff yeah. because wrestling is a, uh, is affording me a life where I can feed my kids, yeah. I can pay my bills, um, I got my astroturf. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Right. Well, let's let's get to it. Let's get to the the final point slash yeah. question because again, it's as much as we're joking about it, it's a bit weird that I'm doing this. Yeah, I should probably explain why. Yeah. So I'll I'll do this. Let You'll do that. I'll look at him. I tell you what, he relinquishes control real. for like an hour, and then he's oh, well, I, back well, that's the thing. This is about relinquishing control. See, uh, I'm aware there's not been many podcasts because I've been very busy with my new job. My new job has kept me incredibly busy, and um, it's a job that I adore and take very very seriously. So um, I will no longer be hosting Tuesday Night Jaw going forwards. I will occasionally appear as a guest because Matthew has been very considerate and moved. Closer to my house. Um, it, well, it wasn't planned. Uh, but, but closer to his house, I'm living in his shed. Um, yeah. uh, I wish I had a shed. That's the next, that's the next <laughs> There you thing. go, that's the next that's thing. The next thing. Yeah, that's the um, so, um, so, yeah, so I, uh, I spoke to Scroobius Pip about this. We want to keep Tuesday Night Jaw running because we know we have a lot of people to listen to and a lot of people who enjoy it. Uh, and uh, Matthew is the obvious choice to uh, take up the helm and run it going forwards. I will occasionally appear um, from time to time. Um, but if we're being honest, I mean, I'm away for like two weeks of every month yeah. doing my job and uh, it keeps me very, very busy. And uh, if I'm being really selfish, and I am, when I'm at home, I kind of just want to hang out with my wife and my kid. Understandable. So, you know, uh, that's why I've been I, a bit I busy. think the thing as well, though, is like when we when we were speaking about it, like this this podcast is is, is as... It's as, as important to me as, as it is to you and, and, and everyone else that's kind of on it because it's, it, for me, it still blows me away that that a lot of the times that, like, when I'm at shows, people talk to me about this. Oh. Like, I had a um, Rich, uh, hi, Rich, and, and I'm, I'm assuming you are listening to this podcast. 
with your son at night because Rich came up to me at Strong Style and was like, introduced himself and he was like, oh, we love Tuesday Night Jaw. Um, and I actually listened to the podcast at night with my son when I'm getting him in bed and whatever and stuff like that. Mm. And his son refers to me as Breadman. Um, and he ended, Rich ended up dropping me a DM on, 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 on Twitter um, afterwards and was like, my son was so excited to say that I met Breadman. Um, yeah. So yeah, Rich Owens' his son. This is Bradman saying hello, and you're going to hear a lot more of me. So for me, like I, I, I still want to keep this going, and I still want it to to be what the essence of it is, um, which it's is positive. Which is I mean, apart, apart from if it's comedy, apart from it's comedy or five star wrestling, yeah, both or five star comedy. Uh, both um, things can get in a fucking. Get, that's that's the next venture we're going to do. But 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 it is meant to be positive. Like no. the whole the whole reason, that, and this podcast. You know, yes, I haven't put many episodes out this year. This podcast has been wildly popular. Way more popular than I ever expected it to be. Turns out Pip always expected it to be popular because he's a fucking podcast genius. And famous as fuck. So, um, like, a little while ago I did say to Pip, look, I am struggling with time. And he was like, uh, hey, Matt should do it. And I was like, hey, that's a really good idea. Um, And then we've decided to pull the trigger on it and get it. But we want it to be positive. Like, there is no reason to be negative about wrestling. Like, yes, the occasional thing will irk you as a wrestling fan. But yeah. you know what? In the main, wrestling's dead good. It is. It's yeah. brilliant. Like, do, the, every day I wake up and... Yeah, when I say I go to work, me going to work is me going to my kitchen table and opening my MacBook, right? But most of the time... <sighs> most of the time... Oh, it's waking up in a hotel you, and not realising what how middle class that sentence was? Me going to my kitchen table and opening up my MacBook. Do you know what, though? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my shed and open up my, my MS-DOS. So, um, <laughs> my son's now middle class. I realise this because his favourite flavour of crisp... My favourite flavour of crisp when I was his age yeah. was cheese and onion. Sound. So working. I like the one crisp. where you had to like do it yourself for the give oh, you salt like, and shake. Salt and shake. Yeah, that's right. it. Yeah. My son's favourite flavour of crisp. I'm not making this up. It's avocado. No, they are <laughs> barbacoa beef and dill pickle tortilla chips with black beans. Uh, sort of. I'm, I'm gonna say woven in, but that's not how you I, make a chip. I'm. I'm gonna. I, I'm going to be like the, the horrible uncle that like... I mean, you already are. You already chopped you to death. Oh, yeah, he did. Weekend. He did beat me up. But I'm going to ground him in loads of common stuff. I like just throw Ovis at him and... Mate, I'll just watch you eat tacos. It's fine. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, we still, we still want it to be positive. I mean, you were talking about you still want to do roundtables and stuff still like that. Still want to do roundtables. I, I want them to, to mean a bit more and have a little bit more thoughts to them. I really want to do... More choosing I draw meets with a plethora of people because I think I think there's just so many people out there now, especially just within this scene, that have some really cool stories and like I don't want it to ever be like this person is on this podcast because of their stature. I don't want it to be like that they are literally here because they're a name and that name's going to make people listen to it. I really want people that have interesting stories and there's a lot of diversity of their stories and how they started and what they got involved in wrestling and what wrestling means to them, but as well as, as what what wrestling's afforded to give them in terms of like a personal life as well and like how they've, they've enjoyed more things. Um, I've got a list of people that I, I really want to do, but and I'd really love to do more live stuff because I can't. I can't even begin to tell you how much like I've always enjoyed our live shows. When we did the 
the the podcast festival in London mm. was awesome. The, especially the first live one we ever did at Progress. Oh, um, great. I mean, I'll probably still be around for those. Like yeah. where I can be, especially if they're around progress, because yeah, I'll yeah. kind of be there. So like, it, it's it, we still want to keep this going, and yeah, there's probably not going to be one every week because you have a life as well. Yeah. But you know, I mean, we'll try and get one out every couple of weeks, right? I mean, I've just got to trim your ash to turf every now and again, so I'm sure I can fit around that. Look, don't you know? You're my pool boy once. Right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is it this is it if you're wondering what my contract is is I'm assigned to Jim Smallman's service agency <laughs> that's because you sold your soul to me <laughs> for a milky bar ages ago yeah, um, so yeah so I'll, I'll be around from time to time um, uh, we'll change the graphic at some point so it's got Matt's face on which is a mine. far better face than his so Easy. you're welcome for that still take this away from you yeah. um, uh, I have ceremonially handed over the recorder to Matt Yes. So he can do it. Yes. Um, and as it gradually means that there's less and less places you can see me actually or hear my voice until gradually there is nothing. I mean, I mean I'm not on Car SOS anymore because no. they've been me off. Um, I haven't done an advert in a while. No. So, you know, eventually. Hey, Roy Johnson was on an advert the other week. Was he? Yeah, he was sat next to a bloke on a plane. Was it for cheese? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good joke. Wow. Yeah. Maybe comedy isn't dead after. No, no. Um, but yeah. Okay, right, let's wrap this up. JimSmallman.com forward slash TNJ is all lowercase. Yeah. Let me plug stuff. Yeah. Quick, because I'm guest. I guess okay, I do it. Jim, uh, plug some stuff. Buy my book. Oh, how aggressive was that? Buy it. <laughs> do I sound like this? Yeah, buy no, my book. Lots of people have bought it. Enough people bought it to bring it out as a paperback, um, which is hilarious, uh, especially... Um, Especially if you're one of those people who really hates the fact I wrote a book. So, I um, mean, I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm, a cre- I'm credited in, in, in. You are credited. Um, mm. Lots of people like it, which is awesome. Uh, I get lots of really nice messages about it. Um, it's really cool. A lot of 16 year old kids have have written GCSE projects on it, which is kind of cool. Including a kid at my daughter's school, oh, and she went. My dad wrote that, and this guy was like, "Really?" <laughs> Which is even better because she has no link to wrestling and doesn't no. like it, um, despite the book being dedicated to her. So, um, uh, yeah, so my book's out in paperback now. jimsmallman.com slash book. Um, it's linked on my Twitter as well, which is at Jim Smallman. That's the same as my Instagram, um, and you can buy the book. It's out in paperback and hardback. And I'll sign it anywhere if you find me and you come up to me and I'll number it. I've numbered nearly 950 of them now. Um, and uh, it's out on Audible and on Kindle and everything. Because it's a proper book, published by a proper publisher, which is frankly ridiculous. And was reviewed in the Times Literary Review, where they gave really? it a really good review. Like, about no. six months after it came out. Yeah, it was great. Like, for someone who was predicted to fail GCSE English because I was a drunk... Um, uh, it's um, a sentence. Didn't, didn't fail a guy, stop. No. But, um, uh, but yeah, like um, it's pretty cool. So please buy my book, uh, and then social media at Jim Smallman on Twitter, uh, at Jim Smallman on Instagram. I don't really use any other social media. Uh, I think Facebook is a terrible device. Um, I've got a Facebook page, but it's all to do with comedy, so I'm not that bothered. Yeah. And then next year, um, probably June 2020, when I would have been doing stand-up for 15 years, I'm going to hire the Soho Theatre, a venue that famously wouldn't book me because I wasn't famous enough. I'm going to book the Soho Theatre with my own money and do a show called Jim Smallman is Fucking Dead. 
named Please. after the refused uh, yeah, song. Yeah, uh, so good, um, good taste. Thanks. Like um, I'm at, well, it's actually the people of Twitter's taste because they voted um, yeah. for the, thank, the show. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to break all the rules of comedy. I'm going to have a, a show poster that my daughter's going to take the photo for because she's doing photography at college. Oh, that's um, nice. Uh, uh, where I'm not going to show my face because I don't like showing my face in photos. You're told to never do that in comedy. Fuck you, comedy. I don't care anymore. Um, uh, and I'm going to do one last show. I'm then going to see if Netflix want it. I'm just going to give it them. Don't want any money. I'm going to put it on Apple wow. Music and everything. I, I just I want a legacy. I loved I love doing comedy outside of the limitations of the industry. I loved entertaining people. I want to do one more show. I've writ- half written it already. I'll have to do new material nights up in the run-up to it, so I will probably turn up at a few places to do new material to test bits out. Uh, then I'll probably do some previews in people's houses, so follow me on social media for that, and then I'll do it. I'll film it, and then it'll be done. Comedy done forever, never coming back to it. Uh, so that'll be next year. So follow me on social media, and I'll let you know when I'm doing that. And in the meantime, obviously, uh, watch NXT UK, which I work on, and watch uh, uh, Progress Wrestling, progresswrestling.com, demand-progress.com, where you can also hear Matthew's wonderful, wonderful voice. Occasionally. Um, there you go. I've got nothing else to plug. Not yet. I've got wow. some more stuff to plug that's, later it, in the year. It's, it's, it's odd to be on this side of it. Ah, I'm, weird, like, I'm like, that's really long. I feel like I need to plug Future Shock. That's normally what one of you lot do normally. Nah, when doing it's this. fine. We don't. Um, uh, We're also, good with that. Also, watch all... All British independent wrestling, it's all great, thanks. It is. Wicked. Uh, you lot need to just make sure you're checking everything out that's on the Distraction Pieces Network, including Falling Forward with Dan Lassac, Hardcore Listing, uh, just the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Scroobius Pip, and so much more. Uh, we're keeping the website, like I say, to jimswoman.com forward slash TNJ for now. Uh, I'm on Twitter at mrichardshost. Uh, let me know what you want. Tweet some ideas at me. Let me know what you would like. <laughs> I feel like from this podcast, you've turned into that social media thing now, which is a, a fairly scantily dressed woman with "Tell me what you want," which yes. is now apparently how you get retweets. Exactly. I just what's fact, worse than heartbreak? In fact, when I these po- tweets, when when I when I post that tweet out asking the people what they want from the podcast, it's just going to be me in a scantily clad bikini. Um, and with that image, we will leave you. Cheers. Bye. Forever. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.